what's going on, everybody? My name is Reagan. My name is Victor. And welcome to Sanctified-ish, conversations with pastors who have not figured it out. If you go to a Christian school or are in seminary, you have probably been assigned a spiritual gifts test. We all have done them. And we all, we all want the internet to tell us where God has gifted us. That's just, that's how we operate. And Reagan, you took one recently. And I just wanted to, I wanted to take a second and delve into this. I I just wanted, I wanted to give you a platform to talk about where God has really just gifted you to operate and move in the spirit. This is, I have not shut up about this for the last two (laughs) weeks. This has been the best moment of my entire life. It's so funny. So I am not detail oriented. I'm not logistics minded. I'm like, if you put a spreadsheet in front of me, like I will die. It's a foreign Um, language. Yeah. And so like, that's so much a part of who I am that like anybody around me just like knows it. And so I had to take the spiritual giftings test for one of my classes. And it was just like one of the three gifts that they came back was like your, your gifting is administration organization like you one of them was like yeah you're the people you're the person in the office who just gets things done and i'm like heck yeah i am dude i was like absolutely so much so that i, I sent it to our student staff team i was like you're so lucky i'm here nothing would ever get done and i sent it i sent it their way and they were just like okay this is the dumbest thing i've ever done in my entire life but what makes that funny is the next three weeks of my life are just complete and utter chaos because I'm bad at administration and I just overscheduled my entire <laughs> life. Like the next two days, we have a hybrid for my seminary class, which is an all day class and yep. going straight into a middle school all nighter followed straight by another nine hours of class the next day. And that's just, that's just because how gifted I am in administration and how wonderful and amazing I am in all the details. I, I will affirm you. Your calendar looks great, though. Over the past couple months, you've, you've re- your calendar looks so good. You block out everything. I've I've learned a lot from you. So maybe the Lord, you, maybe you the have, Lord was prophesying. Maybe the Lord is prophesying over what your future, maybe like 20, 30 years, look like in ministry. You're gonna make a really good executive pastor. Victor, I would really? love to be your admin. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to be your admin. Um, it's like <laughs> my, I'm already not administratively gifted. Yeah. So having, I feel like it would be 10 times worse. If I know you were I got, my admin or if I, I was your you, admin. Man. I got you, man. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know if we can go here, but can I tell you all a funny story from this past week? Oh, please do. Also real quick. You said y'all, we have a guest here. He's there been laughing in the background, but we'll introduce him here. He's my good buddy, Tyler Burton. He mm. has not been on this podcast before, but in my 15 other podcast ventures, some would call them failures. He's been on quite a few of those podcasts, and so I'm so excited to have him on today's episode. Fun fact about Tyler Burton, he was one of the nine people at my wedding. One of the nine people. Wait, he held the phone. I didn't know where he held that the phone going. for the FaceTime. I had no idea where that he was. He held happening. the phone for my mom to be yeah, on FaceTime. That's at true. Our I also <laughs> do you remember, Victor, that I called your dad the wrong name, even though which your is, dad's name is Which Victor? is hard to do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm so I'm so curious. What did you I call him? Steve. I don't know why. <laughs> But I was like, Steve, Fair isn't enough. this great? And he didn't answer me. I've called him his Steve. name's Victor. I've called him Steve a handful of times. 
Fair enough. Dude, I can't tell you. I didn't even get invited to Victor's wedding. I, I would have loved to be one of the nine people there. You're very lucky. I was very lucky. We, very, me and we the lawnmower that uh, kept Olive interrupting Garden. the ceremony were both very lucky Bro. to be there. Um, Felicity and I had to get married twice true. because of that lawnmower. It's okay. It was <laughs> way less real, sentimental the second once time. Once for the Lord, once yeah. for the camera. That's what had to happen. There you go. And that's how all content go. is created nowadays. So You're not wrong. You're um, not wrong. Anyways, funny story. Share it with us. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> the embarrassment. The buildup before that was just... <laughs> I, I really won. I just felt the social anxiety of just like, oh, we're just going to move past this. Great. Amazing. And no, I had already moved past it in my head. <laughs> and then you brought it back. And I'm like, oh, every muscle in my body just got tight. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. Well, this past, we- <laughs> this past weekend, we were, uh, Victor and I were in Asheville with a couple other student directors at our church. And um, <laughs> this guy walks in with a calf tattoo. And, <laughs> and then one of our... One of our friends is like, hey, if I make this shot, you won't go up and just touch calf tattoos with that guy. And just go, boop. Calf, it's calf it's, tat touch. And just walk away. It's like the Jeep wave. Oh, my god! It's like the Jeep yeah, wave. Everyone really with calf tattoos has to. We're, we're all on the same page. Um, for, for those oh of you who gosh. don't know, Victor has a calf, has a 116 calf tat. He does. And it's one of my favorite things. Like, do you know Victor has a Peloton? <laughs> and then did you know that Victor has a calf tattoo? Those are my two favorite things tats- in the world. A calf to tattoo to of mid two thousands Christian hip hop. That's what he has. Yes, it's yes. the peak. The peak of Christian hip hop is, is one one six even together anymore. Is that still a thing? Oh yeah, they are. Oh yeah, they I are. Don't, Unashamed. I don't think so. Is it? No, they are. Yeah, they just is signed it? two new artists. Did I they keep up. Really? Rapzilla, follow him on You're Facebook. The only one still follow him on Facebook. The only one still keeping up. You are. Well, because I'm very active on Facebook. A lot of you may <laughs> that know explains this. A lot. I get a lot of DMs on Facebook asking or giving me French onion soup <laughs> recipes. <laughs> Keep them coming because I use them. Bro, this week someone sent me a French onion soup dip recipe. Are you kidding me? It sounds delicious. Bro, Victor's Facebook is so funny to me because he'll just take a photo and he'll just be like, nice. And it's just French onion soup. But then it's like all it's like all these middle-aged Midwestern moms that I've never met before that are just yep. like, this looks so delicious. Smiley face. You should yep. try more onions. Winky face. And it's just like all of these like random comments. Like Beth. Kathy, yeah. like all these, just liking my Facebook Rhonda. posts Look at of the French internet. onion soup. Yeah. Incredible. I'm convinced, people together. Come on. I'm convinced that if anything I ever do goes viral, it will be my Facebook French onion soup <laughs> escapades. It has to be. I'm, I'm very confident about that. That's, um, that's the next podcast. Victor, 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 here's my transition for you. Okay, um, let's hear it. This is... Transitions are this good. This is it. This is it. I'm ready. Do you think French onion soup is gonna? Do you think French onion soup is gonna be in heaven? That was so good. That was a Thank great you. transition. Thank the answer you. to that question wholeheartedly is no. yes. There are very few things that are still in in existence that have not been tainted by the curse of <clears throat> sin. And French onion soup and guavas are the two things that are still guavas. in existence <laughs> wait, that wait, don't wait, experience wait. the taint of sin. <laughs> what in the world? What's wrong with guavas? Why why guavas? I don't know. I heard it in a song one time. Um maybe it was no big deal. Have you ever eaten I think it's no guava? big deal in Andy Did Minio. You just say the word guava. I've never had a guava funny? in my life. Like have you ever had a guava? I've 
no, never. <laughs> but no big deal says that Guavas will be in heaven. I have no reason not to trust him. Man. Has no big deal given you guys a reason not to is trust him? Is that going to be on your other calf? I don't calf? listen to no big deal. Is, is Guava going to be on your other calf <laughs> from another Christian hip-hop artist? No, no. If I get yeah. a food tattoo, it will 100% be French onion soup. Not It's not even a debate. Um, I, can, I can see that, low-key. I really yeah, can. Yeah, it's a, such a big part it's of a, my life. It's a part of your sanctification. Yes, it's, it's a part of my sanctification. And so to answer your question... Yes, I think French onion soup will be in heaven because the Lord sees and knows his people. There it is. And 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 because of that, he he knows that French onion soup is a big part of my life. I used to yeah. pray. This this is actually great. This is a great transition from your is transition. It? I used to pray as a kid that my house in heaven would have an ice hockey rink so that I could play hockey all day. And I was like, "Man, that would be that would be such a gift from the Lord. But then I was like, I don't know if that's actually biblical. So today we're going to talk about heaven and hell and and hopefully answer a lot of just like big questions that we often ask and have in yeah. regards to heaven and hell. And I think like heaven and hell, this is definitely going to be a more theological episode in it, for what we normally talk about. Yeah. But heaven and hell just the concepts of them pose a lot of really daunting questions. A lot of questions that we don't necessarily know how to answer or interpret. The language in scripture that helps us understand these topics is poetic and apocalyptic in nature, yeah. which makes them more difficult to answer. And so today we figured, hey, let's bring on an expert. Let's bring on an expert in hell and heaven, Tyler. Wow. And talk about heaven wow. and hell. Yeah. So Tyler... With all of that being said, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, don't like that intro at all. Expert in hell. That's not <laughs> That's not at all what I'm looking for my Twitter bio to be. Um, good night. Uh, very happy to be yeah. here. Uh, I told you guys earlier when we were uh, chatting that this is one of the regular podcasts that I listen to. Uh, so I genuinely enjoy this podcast. Also, Reagan, uh, what's it like to work with a thief? Uh, what's it like to work with somebody who steals intellectual property? uh on wow. this podcast I've, are you familiar with that i've i've gotten comfortable with it i'm okay with it um you know whatever gets the job done we're here for it because here's what yeah. i know victor i know that the same day you guys dropped a podcast on the infinity of god we what three hours earlier probably like four, four and, and a half, half produced being, a podcast on the infinity of god and then if i if i remember correctly there were just phrases that were just kind of word for word that were uh, attributed elsewhere, if you will. Okay, okay. This was this was a caption that that I put in the description of that episode. I misspoke. Said that I learned. Okay, you I learned. learned the omnibenevolence of God. I said I learned in Southeastern. That was not true. There you go. It it did come from a professor at Southeastern, but the middle but not man, directly. the middle person, indirectly, was Tyler Perfect. Burton, and so. The fourteen cents that we make on that episode, I will, I, I will every direct deposit. Yeah. You, I will direct penny. deposit into your Suncoast yeah. Credit Union. It's the out. Tallahassee Credit Union, you crazy person. <laughs> uh, I want every cent of it. No, I'm, I'm super excited yeah, to be here. Uh, I love this. I love uh, hanging with you guys, Reagan. I like you already. Uh, so this, this is gonna be fun. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Well, I figure we should just start off the conversation with with this, right? Why does this conversation matter? Why should we care about the concepts of heaven 
and health. Does it matter? Is it worth having these conversations? And if so, why? Yeah. Uh, well, one of the reasons that it matters is that death is a fundamentally human problem. Uh, you can try to escape it as much as you would like, um, but mm. no matter the culture, no matter the people, no matter the age, every person in some way has to encounter death at some point, either for themselves or they're going to encounter death amongst their loved ones. Uh, and when people, as people, start to encounter death, we want to make meaning of it. Uh, one writer talks about that humans are meaning makers. We want to take as much we can and try to make sense of it. So every culture everywhere is going to try to make sense of death. So even in our post-Christian, atheistic, nihilistic age, there are still ways we're trying to make sense of death. And we're trying to make sense of what happens after death. Um, so it's just a problem because every person is going to at some point face this problem. Um, but it's also relevant because our current culture has narratives on what happens after death that whether we yeah. see it or not invade the way we think about death. This is just as much in the church as in anywhere else. Uh, mm. You guys probably see it all day, all the time in your students of people who think they have a concept of heaven and hell that's biblical. And yet when you start talking to them, it's actually much more influenced by uh, modern narratives. So it, there, there's really two that I yeah. see playing out more prevalently. And I'm curious y'all's thoughts on this. Um, there's kind of this uh, romantic naturalism, right? So like a, a Neil deGrasse Tyson-esque of like, you're made of stardust. Like how great is that, right? Like you're yeah. nothing but matter, but it's all like beautiful stars and suns and that's in you. And when you die, you're going back to the earth. And uh, yeah. th that gives nothing. That, that's one of the more hopeless, uh, empty attempts at making this sound like it's something positive. Um, the problem with yeah. it, I'm still going to die. Uh, I'm still going to face these things, even if I try to put a bow on it. So romantic naturalism is everywhere. And then also secular mysticism. Um, Reagan, uh, Victor and I talk about this a lot. Have you seen the show The Good Place? I actually just started watching it. It's so it's the good. Best show. I'm like so four good. episodes in. Yeah, I heard it's, it's great. the best show on television. Uh, by far. And yeah. the reason it's the best show on television is that it actually shows throughout its whole, I was going to spoil some things. So now I'm not going to spoil some things, but it, it actually <laughs> okay. shows throughout its whole four season run, how a secular mind tries to make sense of non-secular things. Yeah. Because what hmm. they're doing is they're going to pull from every religious system and say, we'll get a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we'll make our own secular spiritual mystic worldview. Yeah. Here's the problem with that. Every worldview that tries to explain the afterlife has ideas of the afterlife necessarily connected to other ideas. So you can't just say, I'm going to take a little bit of this afterlife and a little bit of this one because each one is connected to the system itself, right? You can't just sever huh. them off. So what we're doing in secular mysticism is acting like arrogant Westerners where we're just sitting above every culture and saying, I like this, this is mine. You can have that, but mm. I'm going to do this. And so uh, really, the, I think those are two of the primary reasons that it matters. We, we're going to experience it ourselves. And then also, these are the narratives we are constantly seeing and interacting with when it comes to things like yeah. now. No, that's, so that's fascinating that you even just like, uh, I forget the, the, the position you called it, but the one with Neil deGrasse Tyson, where it's just like, hey, it's hopeless. You're going to head back to the stars. And like, it doesn't offer you anything yeah. post-death. And I'll never forget this. One of my friends in high school, um, like she was an atheist and we were talking back and forth about heaven and hell. And her exact words were just like, you know what? Like, I know there's nothing after death. 
and I'm okay with that. And it's my job here and now to like make the best of my life and like better society and better humanity. And like, I think like the position of the church for like the past couple centuries, especially with like heaven and or hell is that heaven is this idealized place that is really, really wonderful. And you should want to go there or hell is so incredibly scary that it should almost scare you into wanting to go to heaven or at least being a morally good Christian here and now. And so I don't think those are necessarily working anymore mm-hmm. or that they should have worked in the first place. Cause I don't think those are either one of that. Those narratives are biblical. Um, but when it comes to the person, it's just like, man, I don't care yeah. that there's nothing after this life. Like what, what is the hope that we have in something like heaven? Maybe like, what does the Bible say about this? And like, what is the, I don't know if consequence is the right yeah. word, but what is the reality of hell? Yeah, I, I think so too. What your what this uh, young lady was saying. What's really interesting about that statement is she actually can't make that statement that she wants to live a good life here and now unless there's a heaven or a hell, right? She can't hmm. make a statement of there's nothing and therefore I'm going to live now well unless there is a reality of life after death. And here's why: if there's no consequence for my actions, why should I do anything right? Why should I treat people yeah. with equal dignity? Why on earth should I see someone else as somebody worthy of equality or dignity? So actually yeah. trying to live without the system, but still having the principles is impossible, right? So we can't yeah. do it. What What would you say to the person? Because I've had these conversations too. Yeah. What would you say to the person that's like, okay, it's not necessarily, and maybe it's the morals of society or just there's something innate about us that like we all know that murdering people is wrong. Mm. And so like, what would you say? Like, it's not the, the presence of an afterlife that causes me to be good. Like I'm just good because one, I either create goodness for myself or two, it's just like, as a society, we have norms and we have things that we've deemed right and wrong. So like, what, yeah. what, what would you say to that? To the second one, the society piece, the reason we have a society that has right and wrongs is because of the gospel, right? Western civilization is completely formed and fashioned on the gospel of Jesus Christ, like the, our entire system of law. Actually, I was just reading something recently on this. If you haven't read Tom Holland's book, Dominion, it's remarkable. It basically shows this. Spider-Man? Yes, same guy, same guy. Oh, yeah. yeah, Zendaya wrote the forward. It, it was really, it's really it's powerful stuff, really, honestly. Um, so in this book, he's essentially showing that the entire Western civilization was founded on the idea of a crucified Messiah. And he's a secular historian, like he has no benefit in this. So the fact that we can say, yeah, society is teaching me to be a good person. Well, society is teaching you to be a good person because up until the last 30, 40 years, society has had the norm that to be good is to, is to follow the teachings of Jesus. Right. So Mm. we're, we're kind of like trying to live off a corpse. We're like a fungi. We've, we've done what Nietzsche said and we've tried to kill God and yet live in light of him, but we're, we're feeding off of the corpse of the church and ultimately Western civilization, unless there's revival, which I pray the Lord there is, will start to experience decline because we're not actually seeing the results of society based on the gospel. So I would say that when it comes to society and then when it comes to the person, like I can create goodness for myself. I mean, Romans two speaks to this really well of like, not only in Romans one, do you, you not be able to, you're not able to fulfill God's law. Romans two, you can't even fulfill the law into yourself. Right. Um, that's good. Francis Schaeffer talks about how there's like a, a collar microphone around everybody and how when we get to heaven, this is just an analogy. This isn't actually heaven. Um, he's like, yeah. it's like you're hitting a record every time you say ought, like something ought to be this way. And then what if that was to be played back against us? 
you ought to be this, you ought to do this. We would find that actually we are condemning ourselves because every time we say ought, we don't live up to our own standard. So, um, yeah, yeah th- mm. those are some thoughts I'd have for, for that situation. Sorry, we got way off heaven and hell, yeah. guys. I'm sorry. No, that's no, it's, that's really good. Down the rabbit trail. Yeah, for real. And I mean, this is this is real because these are the questions that, I mean, young people in today's society are asking. Um, and so taking a lot of the stuff that we've just talked about, I mean, obviously we can't make anyone care about these things ultimately, like that's going to be transformation of the heart by the spirit and the spirit alone, right? Like we can pray and advocate and speak truth and love to these people, but like ultimately heart changes up to the spirit. Um, and so that's comforting for us, right? We have talked about some of like the misconceptions of heaven, hell. Now let's talk about what the Bible actually says about heaven and hell because there's no one on this earth that from life experience can tell you what hell or what heaven is like. I don't, unless you read a book, uh, that like there was a book about it, 20 seconds in heaven or something. Heaven is for real. Sure. We could dive in heaven for real. That's it. That's my favorite. There's lots of stuff out there. Um, people take that interestingly more as truth than what the Bible has to say about heaven and hell, but the only like true accurate account, the things that like Christians can hold fast to and know that are true a hundred percent, what the Bible has to say. So Tyler, take us through what does scripture talk about heaven and what does scripture talk about hell? Yeah. I I think that even starting with that question is tough for some people because they immediately, if they have familiarity with the Bible, uh, what's going to happen is they'll immediately think of passages in the new Testament And because we have those misconceptions that are sitting in the back of our minds, we'll begin to read those misconceptions into what's happening in the text. And so we'll start to think that heaven is you get the chance to play with your favorite NFL player or like grandma's Mm -hmm. up there hanging out with you. And so what what we need is not just like, yes, we love and adore the New Testament. We're not saying that, but we we need a full picture of the whole story. And really, we see a lot of this playing out actually in the first three chapters of Genesis. Um, there's this, there's a book called Getting the Garden Right because if we, we need to get the garden right in order to get what happens in the rest of the narrative. Um, and mm. what we see in the garden is this beautiful God condescending to not only create people, but also to covenant himself with people. So he, he yeah. creates Adam, he creates Eve, and then with Adam, he creates what theologians call the covenant of works. And he lays before Adam. He says, look, I've placed you in this garden. I've given you this obligation. And as giving in giving you this obligation, what I've actually given you is a kingdom to steward, right? Like one, one author talks about how uh, the garden wasn't just a garden. It was, it was a kingdom. Adam as the little, the little viceroy of the kingdom was meant to steward and care for this kingdom on behalf of God, but ultimately so that Adam could inherit the kingdom. Right. So by obedience to God, Adam was actually meant to walk into eternal blessedness. God gives to Adam, look, hey, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of life. You have these two before you. You can take of anything in the garden, just don't take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what we have then with covenant language, I'm binding myself to you, but also with a harsh tone to it of if you fail in this, there's no mercy for this. And that's kind of a hard thing to see. But what was happening with Adam was a very unique thing. If Adam had perfectly obeyed, he and all of his progeny, everyone who came from Adam and Eve, would have lived in perfect, consistent blessedness with God forever. But on the flip side, if Adam disobeys, then the result is he and all of his progeny are now in everlasting distance from God. 
we are actually now banished from the kingdom we were intended to inherit, right? So that's the covenant yeah. of works that happens, right? So we know the story, right? One writer says that God gave uh, Adam a kingdom and Adam set it on fire. And that's exactly what he mm. did. He, he took the obligation he was given unto God. Had he walked in perfect obedience, we would have had it with him. But now because he did not walk in perfect obedience, he and everyone who followed experienced death for the first time. Um, and if you read Genesis 1 to 3, if you just had it in your Bible reading plans, you, you see the, the problem that happens, right? God says, if you eat of this, you will surely die. He eats of it and he doesn't die. And it's a little conflicting at first. It's like, wait a second, what's going on here? Like, I thought he was going to die. Well, we actually mm -hmm. see that sin, disobedience to God, does not just lead to physical death, though it ultimately does. It really leads to spiritual and physical death. Because what happens in the garden is that there's shame for sin, a noticing of unrighteousness and of nakedness, hiding from God, selling out one another, not loving neighbor, right? So all of this spiritual death then actually goes forward into uh, Adam and Eve's progeny where Cain and Abel literally are killing each other, right? So hmm. sin, disobedience from God gave the human race this destiny of death where we now are as the progeny of Adam are being given over to not just sin, but death and its effects. And when we think about heaven and hell, we normally think about like Dante's Inferno and pitchforks yeah. and babies. Yeah. And what we see in the Bible is actually what's happening here is life with God eternally or life apart yeah. from God eternally. Sin, death, and effects going those directions. Man. I so that's so fascinating to me because I think even in the garden you can look at like Jesus is there like the the plan for Jesus and the cross to crush the head of the serpent like he's there in there so he's like not only am, uh, like are you going to have this paradigm of works life with me life apart from me but I'm going to tell you the roadmap to get back to me yeah. and it's going to be my son and he's going to come and that's the narrative of the entire Bible it's just a story of the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is here, the church now to tell everybody about him. And then one day he's coming back again and we are going to be with him. Like that's the whole narrative of the Bible that's set up there in the first three chapters. Um, that's the covenant of grace, right? What? Like God, it's, it's, God it's a, interrupts covenant of grace. the covenant of works with the covenant of grace, right? And makes it now well, where we even, can have the second Adam. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and the, the best part of that, like I love this word covenant that you keep on using. I believe it's Genesis 15, but God is making a covenant covenant with Abraham and he like splits the animal in two. Yeah. And like they're, yeah. they're both supposed to go in, but like he makes Abraham fall asleep and he walks on for both of them. Basically saying like, Abraham, if you fail to live up to the perfect standard that I've called you to, let me be like this animal. So like, not only is he covenanting their works, like, hey, you need to hold up your end of the deal, but he's saying like, I've actually got you. And like, I, I will kill myself. Like I will be like this animal so that you can be with me. And like that covenantal nature of God, we so oftentimes think of like, when we talk about hell, how can a good God send somebody to hell? It's like, God doesn't send anybody to hell. Our choices have already yeah. sent us there. Yeah. yeah. Like we're, yeah. we're on a runaway train and it's God's covenantal grace and That's mercy it. that pulls anybody off that we get to be with heaven. And so like, even to maybe dive into that a little bit, like when people think hell, they do think Dante's Inferno. They think big red guy, pitchfork, that like, how can God be good, faithful, and still send people yeah. to hell? Man, what what would you say to the person that is wrestling through that? 
Yeah, of the goodness of God in that. Yeah, yeah. or just like, well, how, how does a good God send people to hell? Yeah, I was, yeah. The reason a good God can send people to hell uh, is because he's <clears> a good God. And that's very difficult to sit with in a therapeutic culture that we live in. But yeah. think about it. If my wife is murdered and the judge overlooks the fact that she was murdered and does not execute accurate due justice upon the person who murdered her, then that is not a good judge. We actually would see that and say that's injustice. There's something wrong happening here. And they would actually cry out to God to, to make that right. So because God is good, he judges sin because he judges yeah. all wrongdoing. But here's the beautiful thing. The cross shows us what God does with sin. And that on the yeah. cross, Jesus took the entirety of wrath, hell for sin, for all who believe. So that now by my standing and rest in him, not only do I not have that going towards me anymore, but I can also leave judgment for sin to God. That's not something I yeah. have to deal with anymore. So yeah. even if I am wronged, I can actually sit in that God is a good God who does judge people and let that be rest and freedom for me because ultimately he is going to do one of two things. Either the wrath of God that has rightly been poured out on Jesus will apply to them because of their faith in him or yeah. that wrath is going to rightly be applied on the sinner. And that's yeah, yeah, hard but beautiful. We, we miss the yeah. judgment of God in our culture often, but it's beautiful. Well, and I even, I even love the illustration that you gave because one of the really unique things about our culture today, I wouldn't even say unique, it's just one of the more prevalent things in our culture today, is a desire for justice. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we can look across the past five years, the cultural landscape of today is, man, we want justice right. for these wrongdoings. And that is a that is such an Imago Day thing to yeah. pursue. Like we pursue justice yeah. because we've been made in the image of God. But for whatever reason, when God executes divine justice, the thing that we yeah. ultimately should be pursuing after, we have an issue with it. And that's totally because sin has just perverted the way that we view yeah. justice and the way that it's executed. And so like if we can get people to understand this, then I think we we really help people connect the bridge to the gospel because really this conversation heaven and hell is a conversation about the gospel. Yeah. Um, one question that I'd love to ask you, and then we can get into some application based questions. Um, people will often say things like, "Hell is the absence of God," or it's like the absence of the presence of God. Um, and I would love I would love your take on that. Um. I have thoughts just in the sense of like, it might not be the complete absence of God because that would make him not God. It might be the full presence of God's wrath or God's judgment would love your yeah thoughts on what is hell like? What hmm. is it? Where is God's presence in it? And um, yeah, yeah, I feel like that's just a, that's dang, a pressing question. Dang, Vic. Yeah. Let me, let me do a few things. So um, Matthew 25 uh, and Revelation 20 are going to be the two places I'm coming back to. So Matthew 25, 31 to 46, this is Jesus really giving us one of the fuller walkthroughs of Jesus as the judge rightly condemning people to hell, which is, again, difficult, but is what's happening. In the text, what he's doing is he's setting himself up as the linchpin between those who go to heaven and those who go to hell. 
mainly, what do you do with the Son of Man? That's the whole question of uh, Daniel 7. And in Matthew 25, Jesus is basically like copy-pasting and saying, I'm the Son of Man, what do you do with me? Right, And so mm-hmm. uh, in verse 34, we see the first description of what happens to those who are raised to life. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Does that sound familiar, by the way? That now in this new covenant, under the new Adam, we will be now be given the, the kingdom that we were previously promised? Beautiful. So then uh, from that, then, we also have in verse 41, what happens to those who rise to death? There's a depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and its angels. So there's two mm-hmm. two destinies. Jesus is the linchpin of what happens then in those destinies. So then if we go down to Revelation 20, Revelation 20 we now see a further description of what's happening with the fire and the angels. Because then we can get a little, we can get a little uh, Dante, a little Mint, Milton in there, get it uh, misunderstood. Yeah. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who are in them. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So there's a there's a descriptor, there's an allegorical element here. There's poetry happening. But there's this idea of um, hell is a place of conscious, eternal torment, separated from the blessedness of God, separated from the, mm. the blessed presence of God. Victor, you brought it up well in your question. Is it possible for God not to exist in hell? Um, no, because the only way anything exists is because God is the one upholding it. Um, yep. Nothing exists outside of him. But what is happening in hell is that right justice for sin is being executed by the right judge, uh, and he is the one executing mm. it. Now, that's heavy. That's a heavy thing yeah. to settle with. But this is where we come back to the beauty of Jesus as the linchpin of it. Where, where we now have a linchpin in the Son of Man who has come accomplished obedience for all who sinned so that if you place your faith in him, you no longer have the destiny of the first Adam. You now have the destiny of the second yeah. Adam, right? So yeah. that, that would be my thought on that. What do you guys think on that? Um, Honestly, I'm going to reverse this and throw you a different okay. question. All right, go for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, reverse, reverse. One... One, because I'm going to avoid that question at all costs. And you just, you caught, you did that fantastically. <laughs> Good for you, man. I'm halfway through my MDiv. You've taken classes. God bless you in, in all of your ways. Retweet what you just said. Um, so on a much more JV level here, um, I, I look at the works of Paul and I look at his writings and like the phrase that we just preached about it this last weekend, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mm-hmm. That when he's giving and not just a picture of like how to walk in suffering for Christians, but like just the Christian life. Heaven is always at the forefront. Yeah, so good. Of like there's 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 more to this, and I'm like I don't think heaven is just like our our eternal retirement home. Like heaven is our hope here and now. And like yeah. man, we don't preach on heaven. Like we don't talk about heaven. Um, there's not discipleship on heaven. It's just kind of this like hey, when you complete the game, here's this right. little bonus level that you get to do. And like, honestly, man, I think that's why we struggle in suffering. Mm, I think that's why we struggle in the Christian life. That's why we struggle with our walk. And so man, like, what would you say to a Christian that like, here is our theology, not just like, not just what, what we're going to do in the future, but how does heaven impact the 27 year old listening right now who doesn't see 
a way out of their job, who's just living yeah. the mund- mundane day-to-day life and really struggles to share their faith. Like, what does heaven have to do with that? Yeah. Uh, Martin Luther said, I have two days on my calendar, uh, this day and that day, and that day in reference to the day that Jesus will return. And yeah, the, the hope that we have from focusing our eyes on today and the day that Jesus will return makes it where we can now live everything that's going to happen in light of the fact that he's coming back. Um, I love Philippians one, three, you brought up Paul, like he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So the hope of your salvation is that the work he began in you, saving you, bringing you to new life will be completed. So your suffering is going to matter. It's going to go somewhere. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's doing something. Well, what's it doing? It's preparing you for this day where your king is going to return. Um, I was just talking yeah. with a guy this morning. There's a guy that I'm reading through the Gospel of Mark with, and he's starting to have some moments unlock for him. And we were reading uh, the passage where uh, John and the disciples are asking about, like, why do John's disciples fast? Why don't the believers in Jesus fast? And this guy was like, I don't know what's going on here. What's happening? And I was explaining to him that uh, what's happening is they are saying the bridegroom is going to come. Therefore, I'm going to prepare myself for when the bridegroom comes Mm. because my entire hope is being based on he's coming back and he's going to come get me and he's going to rescue me and he's going to bring me into the new life that he's had for me that he's prepared from the foundation of the world that's the hope that a christian can have not only has jesus died for you secured your salvation uh he's predestined you he's regenerated you he's also put his spirit within you and he hasn't left you And he's not going to because he's going to come back, make everything right and bring you with him forever. Uh, I, I know Reagan, we talked a little bit about the good place. I'm just going to do one small thing if I could on the good place. Please go for it. So, uh, in the, in the last, like they're trying to figure out this whole system in the good place. Sorry for spoilers. Um, they basically try to do what the American version of heaven says to do. Heaven equals Mm. fulfill your desires. Heaven equals you get to go play football with your favorite football player. Your grandma's going to be there. The the cookies are amazing. You're going to have the best body ever, right? Like that's what they set up this heaven to be. And they do so because of our misconceptions, right? But here's what they do. And they do it so well. They show that having a heaven with all of your desires fulfilled is actually terrible. It's actually hell. Because you don't Mm. actually want all of your desires fulfilled. If you get all your Mm. desires fulfilled, it will not satisfy you. It will not take care of your deepest needs. It will not bring you the healing and help and hope that you want. It won't do it. So thankfully, heaven is not going to be just getting everything we want. Heaven is going to be eternal blessedness with Jesus, where Jesus is going to come to earth, make everything new and right. He'll set us up as his viceroys, reigning with him, living with him, and our entire lives will be spent doing just that, living with him. That will be it. It's, It's better than any story that this whole world could offer you because he's going to make it all right yeah. and you have it in him. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would seriously recommend, honestly, like I recommend the good place to a lot of people for this very reason, because I think it is the most fascinating study on like human desires in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. I will put a PG 13 rating on the show oh, for yeah, our student that. listeners. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, yeah. But it is a phenomenal show for you to explore not what afterlife is going to actually be like 
but for how we can actually step into what the world thinks afterlife is going to be like and reach them with the good news of the gospel. I think The Good Place is a phenomenal resource that's supplementary to what we already know to be true about the Bible. Tyler, if you could recommend one or two resources for further study, blogs, websites, Mm -hmm. authors, give them to us. Um, Sam Ranahan's book, um, The Mystery of Christ, His Covenant and Kingdom, uh, really mm-hmm. good introduction to covenant theology and specifically seeing how all of these things play themselves out in the story of the Bible. Um, I have it over here. Um, the gospel trilogy, I can't remember, oh, Graham Goldsworthy, Graham Goldsworthy's gospel trilogy um, also helps you to see how these things play themselves out through the narrative of the Old Testament. Randy Alcorn's Heaven uh, is really helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah, those would be a few. I, I also would just say Revelation 22, guys. Uh, I mean, yeah. If I could, I just briefly say one thing on it, if, I, if it's all right, just about heaven. Absolutely. Go for it. So Revelation 22 is amazing for a number of reasons, but we see that this new heaven and the new earth will be, it's going to be a new heaven, it's going to be a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and a new garden. So this is Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. This is in the middle of the new Jerusalem. Now watch this. Uh, through the middle of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The tree of life is at the end too. Mm-hmm. Adam destroyed what his people could have gotten. He failed, so all of his progeny failed in him. But Jesus has accomplished through his perfect obedience what we could never do. So that now because of Jesus, we can actually have the tree of life. Adam failed to obtain mm-hmm. it. We can now have it and obtain it. So beautiful. Revelation 22. That's that's the best resource for this. It's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. This is a great covenant theology masterclass, honestly, because I love covenant theology and those resources that you recommended, I will link in the show, show notes um, for everyone to go check out and to potentially purchase um, on Amazon. Tyler, bro, take the next three minutes. What do you have going on? I know from eternity past since i've known you you've wanted to start a podcast and um eternity forward to present now that dream is becoming a reality so tell us a Mm. little bit about your podcast what's the plan where can we point people to find it once it's out and yeah introduce you said eternity past do you realize we've almost known each other for 10 years a long time you realize that it's wild i was on facebook memories oh no and there's a picture of us at Universal That's Studios. That's horrible. That's really horrible. Me, you, and Griff. Oh, no. We were we were riding the Jimmy Fallon ride. Oh, Can no. I see I remember this remember it like yesterday. Oh, no. um, I, that picture, that day was very important. It was a very important day for me because that was my first semester back from what some may call hell on earth. Um, and so we don't need to go there. We don't need to go there. <laughs> I remember, I remember that trip, but yeah, we've known, we've each, known other each other for a, a long, time. long time. So, uh, yeah, Vic, you've known me a long time. I always have had in my, uh, head and art an idea to do a, po- a podcast. Here's essentially what it is. It's called 15 minute theology. Uh, it's going to be an exploration through, as many as we can, uh, topics of systematic theology. So going through all of the central truths of the Christian faith in 15 minutes or less. Uh, the goal of that is really to get people way smarter than me on the podcast, uh, to be able to mm-hmm. listen to all these 
brilliant men and women walk through these big, beautiful ideas. But in a time period, that's going to be something you can listen to in your car. And so uh, season yeah. one is uh, through the incommunicable attributes of God. So we're dealing with things like uh, the Trinity, uh, God's simplicity, uh, impassibility, um, God's uh, eternality, those kind of things. Uh, great people coming on. Uh, John Hammett from Southeastern Seminary, uh, Christy Thornton, Heck also yeah. Southeastern Seminary. Um, yeah, we have a great crew. Uh, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get the last few recorded. So, um, my, my last recording is with, uh, somebody out of Oklahoma Baptist in May. And once that is done, then we're going to release in June. So we're coming up hot on it pretty soon, but, uh, 15 minute theology, it'll be out here soon. We will let you guys know when that podcast drops and we will, um, yeah, I love this concept. If you guys enjoyed today's episode. This was 44 minutes and 11 seconds. So, I'm so consider sorry. everything you that said you learned 20 today. 20 minutes before the call. I was like, okay. Tyler, <laughs> this was. <laughs> this, this was really bad practice for 15 minute theology. But if you want to learn more and you have a heart for diving deeper into theological truths and specifically systematic theology when 15 minute theology drops, you should totally check it out. Y'all, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Tyler, thank you so much for joining yeah, thank us. Thank you, bro. Um, man, you dropped some knowledge on us, and and we're super excited that, that you were here with us. Uh, you can check us out on TikTok at ReaganJones97 and at RotsOf157. You can check out all the podcast clips from today on there, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Until then, take care. Thanks, guys. And God bless. No, My no. forehead is getting really big, and I you know, don't it's like actually it. another it's, problem. It's not. It's not getting big. It's just been big. <laughs> <laughs>